was very Roman, good. Roman, what were you having? Uh, I was over at, after I got off the museum, I went across the street to, oh, what's her name? V, um, her icing on, icing the, on cake. the cake. Yeah, and got... Um, um, Ice or cake? I, I, I hardly know her. Uh, <laughs> I don't still quite get it, but I'm, I'm going I, I, for I it. I got her. I got. A, I got. I love her <clears throat> rice krispie treats. I made rice pudding a couple nights ago. Ooh, oh, and I got a couple uh, rice, rice or pudding. I hardly know her. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a couple of her. They're not ice cream sandwiches. They're some kind of cookie sandwich with this. Oh, it's a phrase. Textile. Yeah, but it's a phrase. Textile means, hearts. Means like a, a, a uh, extra tile. Uh, damn it! I can't think of the name. I don't know. Don't put this on the podcast. It's bad radio. I've okay. been working on Merch Botanica for, and then my Egyptian-themed smoothie bar um, called Hotman Raw. Um, <laughs> all raw, natural, <laughs> vegan juices, and hot men dressed as Egyptian gods feeding it to you. Hotman Raw. <laughs> I've been working on that one That's for, awesome. uh, for a while. Tapenade. The muffin tapenade. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tapanada, um, I hardly know her. Hey! Ah, <laughs> Zabadoo! <laughs> um, All right, kids. Do you guys, what do you think about talking about some comics? Acceptable podcast, 119 episodes in the old can. One, one, nine. One, one, nine. Jeez. Where every Tuesday we get our books or they're delayed, and that sucks. And that's two weeks in a row. So we got them on Thursday, and we frantically uh, picked them up, drove through the snow, got stuck at UPS, had to get my car out. All of us got mugged. Um, You know, brought the books back just very rapidly, quickly, went through all of those things, um, filed them away, put put them in things. And then usually we would get to go home at that point and have a real nice time reading them. But no, it was Thursday, so everyone was pissed off the books were late so they all showed up on <laughs> Thursday as they just kept coming in yeah Thursday was insane <laughs> and uh, um, yeah so at somehow some way since Thursday we've uh, gotten to read a bunch of comic books and it's a joy um, I'm Jeff and gosh it's gonna be good to take a nap here in North Carolina with Django and we're sleeping <laughs> in the same hotel room he Dude. sleeps in his boxers oh I know no I don't just when we're around it's a courtesy <laughs> guys he sleeps in his little... I'm Django, and I'm always wearing my pajamas under everything else. It's like a nudie joke. Everything else. It's like a, it's like a nudie joke. Oh, I get it. Oh, fuck, I hate that sound. <laughs> I'm Justin, and I have gluten issues. <laughs> I love that, like, you're coming to terms with that. It's like you're, you're, you're admitting the gluten issues in front of your girlfriend's grandparents. Like, you're, you're making I, I tried it. to hide it tonight. I swallowed the whole fish. That's what I meant by that. Oh. So, like, I, I kind of was like, uh, and ate the, the bread and the gluten despite, you know, I didn't want to. I think they already think I'm a goober. A puchunko. <laughs> a puchunko. I mean, for sure. 
I'm Roman, and, I, and I'm wondering about well, the swallow the fish. What? But the fish is that's fine. a Zen. There's no. There's no. That's oh, like a, you know. I swallowed the whole fish. I took it oh, all on. I just adopted the whole thing. It's not a literal. Thing. Okay. Yeah, taking taking on the the. the I metaphor. thought you swallowed like a whole mackerel at once or something. Whole mackerel, mackerel. I barely <laughs> even know her. <laughs> I love mackerel more. Jeff, what are we gonna? Are we gonna talk about the Wonder Twins number one? We're gonna talk about Gunning for Hits number two. Are we gonna talk about <laughs> Superman number eight? Are we going to talk about the Magic Order number six? Six. Oh, six. The Magic Order number six. Uh, we're going to talk about the Flash number 64. 64. Uh, Criminal number two ongoing. And Outer Darkness number four. 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 We better get into it before um, everyone just gets into this crazy wagon of ours and rides off without us. Am I, am I right? We're going to spoil them? We're going to spoil them, but I think we're going to avoid some very large spoilers. I guess the only like big spoiler that I know that we're going to be avoiding would probably be Magic Order. I think we'll probably avoid any big spoilers on that one. And then you, you said that's, something about Criminal. That's the last issue, right? It is. Magic it's the final yeah. issue of it. So Our spoilers this week are sponsored by... Your mother. My mother. Thanks, Mom. What's your mother's name? And Ryan Patrick. Marilyn. Marilyn. And Ryan, yeah. My mother, Marilyn, and Ryan Patrick. Mm. Naked Chardonnay. You just trapped me into doing that, Justin. You tricked me into talking about a naked Ryan Patrick and my mom <laughs> in the same sentence. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Son of a gun. That's how they're... F- I didn't do... I, all I did is turn a bottle. She's going <laughs> to stop sponsoring us. <laughs> she won't stop sponsoring us. No, Marilyn, us. She's proud, Marilyn. She's a proud woman. <laughs> Wonder Twins, number one, Wonder Comics imprint, written by Mark Russell, art and cover by Stephen Byrne. I think we're going to have different opinions on this. What did everyone think about this? I thought it was pretty funny. Wonder Twin powers activate, form of a comic book. Oh. oh. oh yeah, I, I should have known Roman would probably be the highest <laughs> score on this book. Hey, Justin, what's your relationship with the Wonder Twins? Uh, I know them pretty well. Do you? Yeah. I watched every episode of the Super Friends probably multiple times. I watched that show. A lot. I don't. I I watched it when I could, but it wasn't. I don't. I didn't remember finding a lot as a child. Boomerang was one of the. I got Boomerang before I got Cartoon Network as a kid. Wow! I never had Boomerang. It was one of the only cartoon channels I had, and I was sick a lot as a little kid and homesick when I was very young. Shout out Dino Chipino. Dino Chipino. Um. Yeah. How did you feel about this book? <laughs> How did I? I'm sorry. I was just asking about your history with the Wonder Twins. Oh, you know, I, out of all those cast of characters, they were, you know, they had a little monkey I was pretty into. Mm-hmm. Like the monkey, like Firestorm, like all those elemental characters from that show. They were not my least favorite because I love the monkey. Yeah. That's yeah. a good monkey. He's a good little monkey. He's a little he's rascal. Blue. He's blue, got a cape. Yeah, yeah. He's always, you know, pulling on people's ears. And... Stretch his tail. Mm-hmm. I was too old. I thought it was dumb. Did you? Yep. Wow. That sucks. Yep. Didn't didn't. Oh, and now you own a comic shop. Real cool. Yeah. Hey, it wasn't dumb. Wasn't but it was that cool made dumb. in the seventies? Yeah, I was pretty old in the seventies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was just on regular Sunday Saturday morning cartoons. It was made in the seventies, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like around in the seventies when I when I first encountered it, it it just w- didn't grab me at all. I I would have been like. Uh, 12 probably oh man 13. I was yeah I guess I was less than 10 for sure but I just loved a superhero anything yeah and it was colorful and went back at the Hall of Justice yeah I loved that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Plastic Man was on at that time Plas- and he, he stretched through that keyhole what did you guys think of the comic itself 
the one that came out this week. <laughs> I was unfortunately pretty underwhelmed about all of it. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It just, it didn't have, I didn't, and I maybe I think he'll hopefully get a little bit more of an of, of a direction with it. But it was there was no like direction for me while reading it. It uh, felt a little aimless, and like it wasn't necessarily funny at any time to me. And I I, I did like the the little like the Batman little man issues, but it wasn't uh, very funny to me. And it didn't really address any social issues in a in a Mark Russell way. It, it just I I really liked the. Uh... Like the there's there's the gag in the very beginning where the track team is signing up recruits in the gym, and the track teacher is dressed like the Flash with a hummus plate. Yeah, uh, it took me a second to kind of deconstruct that and figure out what it was about. I really like okay. the uh, I didn't get it. The short Batman, he's shorter than Superman or Wonder Woman, and that that got me good. Yeah, that got me real good. See, I didn't get that either. I didn't notice. <laughs> he's just drawn shorter, which yeah. I don't know. It, <laughs> It's, it's kind of subtle. Yeah, I saw but the, it's consistent. I, I saw your Facebook post about it. But yeah, yeah, I, I didn't get it until the Facebook post. Um, I also, <laughs> I also like that. Like he's kind of poking fun at the idea of comic book legacy in here, and how, you know, here we are in the Hall of Justice, and uh, hey, here's this thing that I like. We call it the supercomputer, but that was like we named it before everybody had something more powerful than that in our pockets in our cell phones. And that was one of the more clever parts to me as well, but I I don't know, it didn't like, you know, it made so much sense in the Flintstones. He was like there was just these direct comparisons that were going on yeah. and 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 to this one it was just a little bit more like a guy writing these characters in a kind of witty way. I guess I guess from from that perspective for me it felt a little more like I have to have a setup and a punchline mm-hmm. for each of these, and I'm going to put I'm going to put these characters in positions to tell the jokes I want to tell. And in stuff like Lone Ranger and the Flintstones, it all felt a little more organic, like the settings and and the action, like where where things were heading, felt a little more organic. And then we ended up with jokes along the way, just kind of incidentally, if that makes sense. This is like cuter, and I feel like maybe he has less to say with this book. That's I guess what it felt mm-hmm. like, is it didn't I feel like he had anything to. Say. Say really, yeah. um, which not everything has to have something to say, but yeah, I kind of got the feeling this is his. Uh, it reads like a it, it's hard to say with one issue, but that this is his like wacky. Let's just be goofy and see where this goes. Book. I mean, I did like I like this thing about the thunderstorms on Exor and how it makes everybody go into you know to use a Star Trek term, Ponfar, and everything. <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's where the Vulcan's going to heat, oh. basically. Um, but in here, it's called Thunderlust. Yeah, Thunderlust, which is even better. Thunder I like the fact. Thunderlust. I like the fact that Jana, Jana, finally has a personality. I'm I'm curious what the mystery is of why they had to leave Exor because they kind of start saying that and then they don't finish the sentence. I certainly didn't think that our main guy was likable. But Zan, yeah, but he doesn't necessarily seem. He refers to himself in the third person. Yeah, then. I'm definitely more interested in Jaina and her personality than her brother. I really liked the way Superman looked in it. Like the coloring was good, and he looked like George Reeves, kind of. Like I kind of like the art. Yeah, I think the colors are good. I like the the Hall of Justice part the best. I'm least interested. Yeah, in I the love main the main character. I love the supercomputer. That's great. And they gave the supercomputer a personality. And I like how they're just like, this is how we dispatch them instead of like he does some kind of clever plays with like why is there a hollow justice? I yeah. like yep. the embarrassing secret origin of Bruce Gravy. 
<laughs> yeah. Or uh, the BGs, BGs, I guess. Yeah. 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 That, that was great. That was cool. <laughs> I don't know what the gravy thing came in. You got a comic you need to write. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. When he said his this name, is... His, his, his nickname was BG. I was like, oh, is that Bruce Gravy or something? And they <laughs> answered the page. Django, this has been that Batman story you've been hiding for so long. You've been holding it up inside of you. Bruce Gravy versus the Pork Man. <laughs> I, like oh, the fa- I like the fact Jane is the one that figured out how to defeat... Okay, does that count? I don't think what? so. I thought he had to say his name backwards. Well, I, th- well, I thought that a was a recording of him saying it backwards. Yeah, well, I thought that was part of the joke. Cause I could swear there's like 1950s Superman stories where sometimes that worked, other times okay. it didn't. Okay. I think that's just part of the joke. So here's the other thing: is can Zed or whatever his name is, Zan, can he only turn into water? He could turn into animals. He turned no, he into can, water, various water shapes. He can only, yeah, form really? four different... But pail of water was a classic one. Yeah, different water. I mean, Superman doesn't explain it very well when he tells Batman and Wonder Woman because he can turn into anything, like, moisture-based. Okay. Ice, water, steam. I think they're making a joke, <laughs> and I think he's going to eventually have some real cool shit that he's able to do. I'm going to keep reading it. Yeah, I mean, it's no, more yeah, Russell. definitely going to keep I reading like it. I like the art. Yeah. It's colorful. It just didn't wow me. Um, Gleek yeah. hasn't showed up yet. He's on the it cover. Give me a yeah. sense of wonder. Yeah, he is there, and I like his tail. You've been sitting on that all day? No. Not the tail, the wonder joke. You've been sitting on Bruce Gravy your whole life, Django? <laughs> <laughs> shoes, <I'm>... shoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I wonder what we all give it. I give it a 6.5. <laughs> I wonder what we all give it. Have you been sitting oh, on that one all day, it, you fucking Only in the last two minutes. I give it a 7. Yeah. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep reading it. I'm going to read the next one. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. That was for Roman. That was that was an old joke, guys. <laughs> humana, humana, that, was even, that was older than Pond Far. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Form of dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it six moist fist bumps. Oh. Gross. <laughs> you know, he turns into water, does the fist bump. Six of them. What did you give it, Roman? I'm, I'm feeling the highest score from Roman. Uh, 9.5 on the Rick. No, no, I'll give it a, I'll give it a 7.5. Okay. That's pretty good. Okay. Moist fist bumps. Yeah, see? Wait, Justin, what was yours? Six. Six. Okay. Six, six point five, seven, seven point five. Got a six to the seven point five range in here. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was not bad. Speaking of good. Oh, yeah, not to just sort of say like, oh, but here's what I like. <laughs> um, Gunning for Hits number two. This one is written by Jeff Rogvi, art by Moritat, and Casey Silver does the colors, letters, and design. They all fucking killed it. They really all killed it. 9.5, I'm done. 9.5? Is that what you said? Easy 9.5. Yeah, I'd say wow. easy 9.5. I would say wow. 9.5. It's not, not a 10, but 9.5. Wow, cool. And I, you cannot complain with a 9.5. No. That's a hot fucking comic. No. I like the cover. But this is in my reading pile. This is a David Bowie album cover. Is oh. it? I don't know. Someone oh. told me that today. <laughs> okay. Well, that would make sense. Because Someone who knows. This book is all about um, the guy trying to sub- um, sign David Bowie to his record imprint. Does he use it with assassin force? No. So... In this one, we've got the sort of follow-up to the first issue where he's gotten this band to agree to sign to his label. And in this one, it's sort of the the back half of what needs to happen to get... Um, they've got that agreement, but now they need to do some, like, you know, lawyer stuff. Draw up the paperwork, uh, get the people to actually physically sign this thing, um, and then go to the show where 
he had specifically sort of arranged this show to happen in this bum location the night before so that they wouldn't think that they were hot shit and they would sign with him and now they're going to this place where they're clearly going to have this amazing show and the David Bowie anagram and the parallel uh, you know shows up and he's trying to get that David Bowie character on his label also and all of that I love because they'll draw it in this like really cartoony sort of childish funny way where the paneling is really interesting and dense grids with you know, like 16 panels on a page or more and just doing over explanatory text dumps that I love um, but th- there is this like part of it that I don't care for as much which is he, you know, David Bowie is like security guy, is somebody who was in some situation from this A&R guy's previous life where, what was your read on that? Like, mission? Was it military? They, yeah, is they it... had some military or paramilitary kind of mission that they were on, and um, the A&R guy seems to have abandoned the group, and he talks his way out of getting in, getting just the shit beat out of him by the... by. David Bowie's goon uh, by telling him that he, he went off to get help. Um, I like that part of the story. Yeah. Like it's, it would really bother me if that's what they were focusing on and they were right. just talking about like, oh, I'm a record signer guy and uh, also I got a gun. But it's yeah, just kind of suck. always there, but it's not... It's like two out of the 20-some pages of this story. Yeah, I, I totally And I really agree. like that mix. And I don't know if you read the back matter, but in the back matter, they talk about how they're going to display good music versus I, bad music. So using like lightning bolts and then droopy banana cardiogram is what he calls it for the <laughs> for bad music. And it made me flip back and see the, the band that he just signed doing their show. And it's just like giant-ass lightning bolts all over the background. Um yeah, I, this this was a great follow-up to that first one because it gives you more details on the ins and outs of the music industry, which is part of what I really liked about that first one. And it also gives us kind of the like the lurid backstage manipulations that happen yeah. as well. Like it's not just the signing of the checks and the tricking lawyers into coming at the right time to get these guys to sign their shit and all that, but it's like, hey, we're going to – we're going to do what use our political sway to bring Brian Slade, who was the Bowie, the David Bowie uh, analog. Analog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was trying to think like, what is it that I or we really like about this book? Because uh, it's not just like, oh, I like music stuff, so this is that. But it's almost like a less intelligent Aaron Sorkin to a certain extent, like yeah. the type of people and how they're talking and the density and confidence of the individual voices. Like we meet his accountant in this and we just sort of are thrown right into the middle of this relationship that interplays off of each other like a realistic... Who's Aaron Sorkin? He is the screenwriter for like The West Wing and The Newsroom, the newsroom and The Social Network. And like he's Everything fast, intelligent, Snappy dialogue while people walk. Yeah, if like, you've seen that, it's him or a copy of him. Yeah, he's... He's a really famous and important uh, show head, really. You got a you got a favorite line from this? I don't really. I I'm, do. I loved a lot of it. I don't. Re- yeah, I don't remember. What, what's yours? It's when the the boss of the record executive is kind of giving him a hard time, and the record exec's uh, accountant and best friend keeps 
kind of naturally interrupting at a point where the guy needs the conversation to stop. Mm-hmm. And the, the second time he does it, he walks between the two of them and he's like, fuck off, boiled beef. This guy has work to do. Yeah. I just love the idea of calling somebody boiled beef. <laughs> and it takes place in the late 80s, which I really like, like late 80s, early 90s. Again, that's just an era that I really, really like. Pre-internet age, man. I love that. Pre-internet age where there's not such a sense of entitlement about the art that you engage in, right? Like, there, you, yeah. you have Discovery. to... Discovery. Yeah, you seek these things out, and once you've found it, it's something special about having it, whereas now, like, everyone's got this sort of entitlement that we should be able to experience all things. And th- there's, I don't know, like, this era, late 80s to, like, 95 or 98 to me is, like, a really special time for art. So, yeah, I don't know. It's It's... I really liked uh, David Bowie's, like, manager or whoever she is. Just, like, super hot handler who's just wearing a blazer jacket and she doesn't have a bra or shirt on or anything. It's just, yeah, it's like Aaron Sorkin doing music stuff, which is one of my, you know, favorite things. Yeah, that's great. What do you give it? uh, We both did a 9.5. I'm going to stand by that number. I I think I'll go 9.5. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go 9.501. Oh wow! Oh. Super like, Megabot like Hard Headquarters. You see that? I did. That logo on the back is really awesome, but they, uh, they use a low resolution skull. A little bit bummed about that. I hate when my skull goes low resolution. Yeah, <laughs> my skull's always in low. Oh, low res. Well, that's that gluten, buddy. It's I got know. those <laughs> sweet. Uh, it's over gluten connectioning in your the. You know, the gluten structure. Yeah. It's a parasitic structure that gets into our brains. With the pixels. Right, the exactly. Glu- I'm just pixels. glad that, I mean, you're get rid of the gluten. Mine's, you know, it's like osteoporosis. Oh. Honeycombing of the brain. I thought Fibromyalgia. It was Honeycombing um, of the gluten. I was reading a fair amount about words like that today when I was trying to track down why my butt's bleeding so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come thought- across the words... Pop the hemi? <laughs> I didn't see pop the hemi anywhere, but I'm really optimistically holding on to the idea of it just being that I popped a hemi. Just Google ass, blood, pop hemi. Um, this I'm on it. The last uh, last podcast I was talking about pooping my pants. This one I'm talking about the like half of a cup of blood I let out my butt today. Um, this is sort of just like me, you know, trying to use this podcast to meet chicks. <laughs> if you Google it's hemi, working. Though, isn't hemi some like 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 a trucker like, hemi. Yeah, real yeah, man. Like hemi, it's, hemi. It's something underneath <laughs> the hood. Hemi. It's in the engine. Something. Is that a hemi? Yeah. <laughs> what happens if a hemorrhoid burst? I don't want to hear this. I do. <laughs> I do because I want to feel better. Hemorrhoids, also called piles. I didn't know that. <laughs> piles? piles. I, I've heard of piles. I didn't know they were hemorrhoids. I thought they were more like shingles than hemorrhoids. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought piles were like stacks, like little daddy yeah, like, stacks. You know, like, like the things piles. that Django does all over the comic shop. Jeff, you got piles. I like I that got more little than happy butt piles. <laughs> I always Blood assumed piles. piles were like like when you went to the bathroom, it came out in piles. Oh. <laughs> Jesus, Roman. You're a That's monster. what I thought. <laughs> That's disgusting. I know. It sounds like a horrible Superman thing. would be disappointed in you. <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier, and I thought, man, if Jeff and I go to Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Charlotte. He, he thought we were going to North Dakota, which is probably because I've been telling people we're going to North Dakota, but we're going to North Carolina. North Carolina is better. He's been jealous since he heard about it. I was wondering I if I would look at your butthole to find out if you were okay. Yeah. It, can you imagine a situation where, like, I wouldn't be using a mirror, but I would call Django in to be looking 
Okay, 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 okay. Here's a question. I got us a hotel room without any mirrors. So okay. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell so you. So let's just say we're in a situation where I have to have Django look at my butthole to see, see if it's a burst hemorrhoid. Do you think I would get on my hands and knees and put my butt in the air so we could look at it, or <laughs> would I lay on my back with my legs up so we could look at it that way and I would have my hands there? Like, what is the way that you would have a friend look at your butt to assess the, the damage? I have hiccups. I, 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 would, I would switch. What does that mean? I'd do both. Yeah. Yeah, of course you would do both. <laughs> I think he would just have you, like, kind of hand and knees face down and just, like, spread them. He's just like, okay, get on there. Now, just, like, show me your ass. No, now, like, show me more the way ass. Django would do it, what he would he would do is he would make you take a picture with your cell phone and then he would <laughs> yeah, look at the yeah. picture on your cell phone because he loves technology. Because we can, we should. Here's, yeah. here's the thing, Jeff. I know you, you're trying to decide which one of those things you would do. I'd like to say right now, I don't pull rank often, but I think I should get to choose which one of those things you do. Yeah, well, you're the one getting the treat of shaking it all out. <laughs> that, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I think Django would just like that dad instinct would turn in and he would just order you around. He'd just like, all right, this is how we're doing it. I'm oh, going to no. lay on my back. Your ass is fine. <laughs> I'm going to get on my back. You lay on your back next to me. <laughs> wow. As you most certainly guessed, this is a podcast about rectal health. <laughs> Perfectly acceptable rectal. Welcome rectal to health. the welcome to the rectal room. Well, uh, I mean, twenty nine years old. It doesn't. The it's rectalist. not getting easier. Like, was <laughs> the was there rectalist. a prime of life? Because we passed it. Now it's all just constant concern about car insurance and accidents. Apparently, the prime of life. Well, I was around sixteen, and I, we all, I didn't know that then. We were all pretty bummed out. Oh, <laughs> well, our then. brains were still trying to figure out how to form. Yeah. <clears throat> did you guys read Superman number eight? I featuring did. forming brains. Featuring. A 16-year-old John Kent. Oh. Holy Seven, shit, Roman. 17. You're so... God damn it. Damn. <laughs> I was trying to pay you a compliment. No, I, I really like that. this issue. This is a great sure. like father-son, screwed-up, crazy grandfather issue. Ooh, daddy issues in yeah. space. Granddaddy yeah. issues. Granddaddy issues, yeah. Oh, man. It's got this great ad for Tigtone on the inside. Look at how much cover. the spaceship <laughs> in this looks like the spaceship from Transformers the movie. You remember when they have to like jettison part of it also oh, sure, and they're driving the front and yeah. And does this look does this little robot look like Herbie from Fantastic Four? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I love Herbie. Basically we're just following up on like what happened with John and Grandpa out in the middle of fucking space. Can we get some like and and Grandpa's just sort of slowly losing his mind and also like not really mature and not really <clears throat> like good at stuff like what but it it also didn't seem very bombastic like when john in the last issue said oh yeah by the way granddad's totally bonkers right yeah then we get to this and his his granddad is like you said just a little bit childish and then just kind of a butt like we i don't think we've seen him crazy yet so if it has everybody seen the Shyamalan movie the visit Fuck no. no. I have. Have you not seen it? No, I want to like every single Marky Mark movie I've ever seen, and I know I can't see that one. He's it's not, not in he's that not one. In the, he's in The and Happening before that. And it's like... Oh, I got him confused. Which one's The Visit? The Visit is the one that like he made, and then it redefined, like, oh, maybe we should give Shyamalan the benefit of the doubt. I think it was not Prop too circles. long before... No, that was Signs. <laughs> the one, it's the one where the kids go to visit the grandparents. Oh, no, I didn't see that. And it's fucking it's awesome. It's Hansel yeah. and Gretel, but as a horror film. No, but that would be very no. erotic. I mean, there's a reference to Hansel and Gretel in it. But... Oh. So, yeah, you're mostly right, Justin. There is some references. <laughs> Thank you, Roman. It is a Hansel and Gretel tale. <laughs> but uh, it's sort of your 
slowly getting less and less comfortable by like how unfit these grandparents are until a great twist happens in that movie that we won't spoil. But this sort of reminded me of that where like half, you know, he's, he's like, you know, I'm, he's like, I'm sorry, John, this isn't how this should be going. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm the one that did this. And grandpa just goes, and kind of gets sad and goes in his room for four months. And it's just this weird, like, wow, this guy is not all there. Yeah. He's depressed and lost. And yeah, when John, we tells the story and how well then Grandpa didn't speak to me for like the rest of the summer. It's like, oh my god! Yeah, I called that space the year, alone with him. <laughs> the year Granddad didn't talk to yeah, me. Right. Yeah, right. It's like, what the fuck is up with this guy? And why did this man, who was clearly so lost, think that this was the right action? That he was like flying around trying to convince Superman that I need to take your son. Like, yeah. Well, listen, you got whoever wrote the Oz effect, and then you got Bendis trying to clean up after their well, shit. I think that him taking John that happened in that six issue Man of Steel. Thing. Which was Bendis. Bendis right. Yeah. So this is all Bendis. Like and- Yeah, but but like this character, um, Jor-El, was right, created okay. for this, like in, in as as old man Jor-El, who didn't actually die on Krypton, came about during the Oz effect. And right, which was right. kind of like uh, yeah. Doomsday it- Clock cocktease that then they had to figure out how to deal with, and then they wrote him off, and then Bendis brought who him. Who was back. the guy in the Oz effect? Like it the was guy him. kidnapping everybody in the cloak? It was him, but he was being kind of, like, he was brought back to life, and we don't really know for sure how, and someone was kind of making him be overwhelmed by how much bad tragedy there has been happening Mm -hmm. on the Earth. But it it still didn't really make sense. Like, the, the button and the Oz effect kind of were relegated to be something other than I think what they're originally intended to be because Doomsday Clock has taken so long to come out. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of feel like Jor-El, Bendis is writing Jor-El here as an, kind of an answer to that problem that that those were kind, kind of loosey-goosey there and Jor-El's suffering from that because he's, he's depressed and all emotionally screwed up. Uh, what if there's no hand that guides me, he says, because... He senses on some level he's supposed to be dead. He doesn't yeah. know why he's still why he's been resurrected. Well, his foot didn't even fit in that little spaceship. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was funny, but that won't be in the podcast, so that'll just sort of be a thing that doesn't make sense. Can you take this part out too? I don't know, Django. <laughs> You'll have to snap and yeah, it. leave leave it all in. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Leave it all in. I barely even know her. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, there's a cool like little bit with John talking to Kilowog. They show up. They're like, do we need to bring you home? And he's like, no, I'll just stay here. The cool thing about this issue at the end is that they go through some sort of like space rift, and they show up in Earth 3, and... Uh, and then John is saying to Superman, like, what happened next is not your fault. And they he sees the crime syndicate, and it's just Ultraman saying, huh. And that made me very excited. Me too. I'm yeah. very excited I to see I did not these expect characters. that. I was like, oh, my God, the, the, the most evil Justice League. Oh, jeez. One of the things I did like is John does mention it here, I think, in the flashback when he's talking about when they arrived on this planet and the Green Lantern showed up, that despite all this, despite his grandpa being nuts and depressed and everything, he always was making good choices. Um, they were always mm-hmm. on the side of good. And he says, you know, he's like you, dad. He's, he's, he's a good guy. What do we, he's a, right, he's a good guy, Marty. <laughs> he's a right on kind of guy. What do you think this is going towards? Justin, you have a, an ability to see through the, the, 
you know, the veil. Like, what I, do you think? I haven't it is? read. Any I know, of but I still think that you. <clears throat> Like what? What is this Jor-El thing? Is he gonna be dead? Is this a way to like? He's is he dead? Brainiac. Is he gonna keep <laughs> coming Jor-El on? Like Jor-El. That's my been my theory since day one. It's gonna happen. What will have happened? Or like this whole John has been aged. We think they're gonna unage him. I have you think no that he idea. like what is? It sounds so not interesting to me for some reason. I, like every time you guys describe it, I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm reading action and not this book. I think it's, I do like it. I mean, for I whatever lackluster like it, description we just gave. Which I, it was like I do really like. I it. do really like it, and w- and one of the things I really liked in this issue is Superman has to take off at some point during John's story because mm-hmm. he just hits this wall or he's he's so pissed off the fact that he missed his son's like seven years of his son's life. Yeah, because and, of his own father, and Superman takes off and he and he's in a rage and he just happens running a Mongol and beats the crap out of Mongol. <laughs> to find Mongol. <laughs> Yeah, I love that the last three issues have had really good scenes of Superman dealing with rage. Yeah, yeah. The show is having this really, he doesn't just like shrug it off. He's, he's, you know, having regular reactions to this kind of stuff. What I like so much about this book is that I don't fucking know where it's going. Yeah. 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 Once they got out of the Rogel Czar story, Superman started getting interested. And I can't wait to see, like, I was tired of him. But, like, if you remember, he was about to kill him, and then Adam Strange was like, oh, we got you back. And he's like, and they're like, we need yeah. you to go to this thing. Like, we just left that hanging, and that is going to come back, and I'm really excited to see how that comes back. Mm. I just can't wait for Bendis to turn around in his desk and look directly off the comic book page at us. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to happen, too. Um, what, what would you give this, Jeff? I would give this one an 8.5, and I would All say right. that it's... You know, it's really, really good. It wasn't as good as the last issue or maybe the issue before it, but it's really good. I was leaning towards a seven. Yeah. But it's going to get a seven and a half for one single panel featuring Nathaniel Dusk, private investigator. (laughs) Go fuck. Go dusk yourself. Dude, it's fucking Nathaniel Dusk. They're they're putting (laughs) him in. They're slipping him in there. You guys got to read it. Is the original story good? Yeah, it's great. Who's Nathaniel Dusk? Dusk. Dusk. He Dusk. He didn't live in this town when that whole thing happened. Nathaniel Dusk is a... Uh, hey, this is fucking good. Let's tell this fucking story again. <laughs> I haven't heard this a hundred times. It's an old comic. <laughs> <laughs> it's an 80s comic. Well, what do you give that hearty. Superman? That's a boundless book. Raw um, man? I give it an eight. <laughs> That's a boundless The Ocho. The Ocho. Even with the Nathaniel Dusk, huh? You're not going to give it an eight and a half? I could be I I okay eight, eight and a half I'll give it an eight and a half. You did it for you that in the video screen with the, the some kind of weird version of the Titans. I on love there. the Transformers ship in it. On oh, the t- yeah the Transformers ship. That was like Inception, but afterwards. And the fact like little John Kent is like drunk apparently on it his looks bed. Like he's drinking on his bed. <laughs> it does. Hey Justin, will you tell us about Magic Order Number Six by Mark Millar and Olivier Coipel? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey Jeff, go fuck yourself. Uh, gosh. <laughs> What is there to say about Magic Order number? A lot happens in some sh- On a scale of 1 to 10, how many of the things that happened in this issue did you predict? Um, this one was a little more predictable, right? Right? I don't feel like there was it was going for a predict or not predict factor. I didn't Yeah, nothing felt surprising and like, wow, what a twist. There was none of that, but I also didn't see what happened coming. Yeah. It felt like 
once I read it, it was like, oh, that's understandable. Like it, it's. I feel like he. I felt this issue was real rushed to come up with an ending. I liked it quite a bit. The art's amazing. I like the characters a lot. I felt like the whole issue was written for that last issue, number five. Mm-hmm. The whole series was written for the moment in five. For that grand reveal. Yeah, and that this was just kind of picking up the pieces and stitching together an ending. Um, there was, like, I, there was a scene that was, like, there was some very satisfying scenes. They did some cool character stuff that, like, starting this issue, I had I consciously was like, I really don't know how this girl's going to get out of this. Like, we had the big reveal of issue five, the twist that the brother we've been following was actually the secret bad guy, and that the sort of schlubby younger sister was actually now who's going to need to save everything. And obviously she was going to do that. But I didn't know how she was going to, and I I liked the really simple mechanic that they used for that. It wasn't yeah. like it was just a, a fluid, elegant, you know. And it doesn't hurt that like the art is beautiful. Like everything looks so so good. I oh, love. Yeah. I forget the old man in the library who doesn't leave. Yeah. Because he's old and like has lost his powers or whatever. But no, it's just that like. The last time he left that room, he wiped out half of the stars in the sky and millions of people. And the reason that the you know the desert is sand is because of like there's this insane. We don't even know what like we don't know anything about him. Like, and yet this in, this incredible power. Like I don't know. It's that classic instance of what's happened over and over in this series, which is like showing a little bit and then not telling you anything and just m- making me create all these wonderful ideas in my head of what that meant. So, the, oh, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, he's very good at like making you underestimate an aspect of the world and then blowing it up, it up in front of you. Like mm-hmm. the, yeah. the old guy, you're like, oh, he's just a little like old butler man and then he's a this like crazy cosmic force. Do you guys think that the Netflix show is going to follow these characters? Either, either like prequel or sequel. I think it's going to be a remix. Uh, or, or like, because they could go back 800 years and give us the magic order from back then. Too, I really, wanted. yeah, I, I really don't know. This story is a really good, um, could, it's a great spec for a movie. Like, yeah. this is a really good two hour movie. Yeah. yeah, he made a great world. I, you know, you could spin off all these. Mid- Magicians in the end in each of their individual stories because some of them are killed and you never know anything about so you could spin off um, I gotta say the only thing cooler than a magician is a dead magician mm. in my opinion <laughs> um, when, and you know the necromancy of necromancy summoning mm. dead magicians to summon better dead things um, and she kind of does a pretty cool dead magician magician thing in here so what do you guys give it? well or do you got more to say? I, I guess I just want to say that like we're not saying too clearly what happened here, but I just I, I kind of want to just put a capstone to this mini series, which is this is a six issue Mark Miller series that is one of my absolute favorites that he's done at this point, and it's very mature, and it's really creative, and it's told elegantly, not like masterfully and incredibly artistically, but just like it's well told. I think the twists mm-hmm. and turns that happened were really well done. It was it didn't break the mold but it it inspired me and it caused my neurons to fire in an exciting way that made me come up with ideas of what you know what is so i I just anyone listening to this this is a six issue miniseries that'll be collected into a paperback in april if you haven't read any of it we have not spoiled you know all the great stuff for you so it's beautiful and it's well told and i think anyone listening to this should go check it out because i 
I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I'm excited for whatever Netflix does. And I hope it does say end of book one, which is kind of just what he's been doing at the end of his books. So he can come back if he wants, maybe. Yeah, so I, I really hope he comes back and tells another aspect of it. Me too. I feel like this is the purest Mark Millar. Like, he's kind of utilizing all his different voices he's had throughout the years. Like, he's got some high-concept stuff. He's got his kind of douchey, plot-twisty stuff. Yeah, he's got yeah. his edginess. But, I mean, all of those things in in and of themselves are good. And he utilized it, all of his, like, his whole wheelhouse into one big thing. And, I yeah, I quite enjoyed it. This is maybe my favorite Mark Millar thing because I'm not always a big fan. Um, I would give it an 8. I would. Yeah, yeah sorry. You want to do the miniseries as a whole? Um, 8.5 for the miniseries as a whole. Yeah, I would give uh, this issue a 9, and I would give the miniseries as a whole a 9.5. I really, really liked it. I would give this issue um, an 8, and I would give the series an 8. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't quite as head over heels for it as you guys were, but also it's just kind of in one eye and out the other for me some weeks, so... I, I, I would maybe juice a lot more out of it if I read it closely. You gotta get yourself a Jack Lane juicer, power juicer. It's gonna <coughs> get all the spit on me, punch me, kick me in the feet. Then I gotta, you know, Jack Lane. He drinks Jack the juicer, Lane. He, gets, gets, he gets all big. Kids use, yeah, he used to get uh, spit in the face. He Put a carrot in there. <laughs> Hardly know her. <laughs> <laughs> Flash 64 by Joshua Williamson and. That's the name of our subscriber that I was about to say. Um, that's a different name. <laughs> not, it is not Rafa Sandoval, yeah. not Clarissa Sandoval. Who is What's going there? on in here, you guys? What's going down? Why do the part Flash two and of Batman the price. need to team up? Is this a Heroes in Crisis tie-in? It is a Heroes in Crisis tie-in to some extent. It just seems to be kind of happening around Heroes in Crisis where they're like Batman and the Flash are having kind of some interpersonal problems hanging out and talking to each other because they were not able at the point of this story to solve the the things that happened in Heroes in Crisis. And then by the end, um, somebody's planted or or maybe it's more legit than that, but somebody's there, there's a mask that they find in the bad guy's lair, a mask from Sanctuary. Mm. And uh, Flash suddenly doesn't trust Batman, which is Is that where it's from, from Sanctuary? Yeah. Is it a psycho pirate mask? Or what's the significance that's, of this mask? Oh, well, that's, that's a good wear. point. The Psycho Pirate mask actually looks a lot like the Sanctuary masks. I didn't think yeah. about that in, until... I love Psycho Pirate. I, did, I do, too, and I didn't really know much about him, but now Heroes in Crisis is a whole different thing, considering that Psycho Pirate mask is the same as the what the Arbiters in Sanctuary wear. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe Gotham Girl was sent there, maybe not. Flash suspects that. Batman won't answer. Right. Yeah, I think... What's really interesting about this is even just as you described it, like it's not directly a Heroes in Crisis tie-in, while it is a Heroes in Crisis tie-in, but it's more Batman and the Flash solving a mystery that is actually intrinsically related to Tom King's Batman run in the form of Gotham and Gotham Girl and her gradual story arc, which we know from the very beginning of the Batman run that she plays an integral part in that she marries Duke after Batman is killed, which is... You know, a crazy thing we haven't gotten to yet. Is that what happens? Yeah. That's what she there's says like happens a... in the first issue. Yeah, in like issue six, at the end of that first arc, <clears throat> oh, there's yeah. an overarching monologue of her talking about... In know, the future? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I miss that. But it's interesting just how this is related. I guess, like, it is a story in and of itself, but it's a story... That is really only ex- is existing to orbit around these other stories 
It seems like it should be a part of Tom King's run, but it's mostly just to shine a light on the relationship between Batman and the Flash as they're trying to solve this other mystery. Because they don't—they're not digging each other too much right now. No, in they're Heroes trying. Crisis. Yeah. yeah. Oh but, yeah, and Heroes in Crisis are pissed. Yeah. Yeah, and they're both <clears throat> trying here. I like the fact that you know they both in their internal dialogues admit how much. Well, Flash in his internal dialogue admits how he's. He, you know, he's always thought Batman's the better detective, and Batman's like, I don't know which one of us is a better detective. <laughs> which is pretty, pretty uh, telling, since yeah. Batman thinks he's the best at everything. Yeah. Um. So, given that this is not written by Tom King, do we think that it can have any larger weight? The art is nice. I think it, it can because like the, the button had larger weight, and I. I think that Joshua Williamson wrote two issues of that. Yeah, but Tom King's not writing this at all. Yeah, right? but he's like working with him and he said that he's plotting okay. it with him. Then Tom King's writing Batman and Heroes in Crisis. It almost seems like it's a thing that needs to happen and Tom King's plate is too full, so we brought this other person in to be doing it. That's right. all my conjecture, but it 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 seems important. And I don't really get it. I think that it's going to become more tied in to Heroes in Crisis. Sure. But it would make sense. It, I guess what's interesting is the idea that we would be tying Tom King's Batman run to Heroes in Crisis in the form of Gotham Girl and Bane because a larger DC event is a thing that I think they want to sort of remain evergreen and sell as a trade. And I think in doing that, you know, like Final Crisis <clears throat> is an intricate part of Graham Morrison's Batman run, but at the same time, you can read it without that. And if mm-hmm. and if Heroes in Crisis is linking itself to Bane and Gotham and Gotham Girl, yeah, but really, yeah. What's the What's the absolute edition of Final Crisis? It includes so many comics. It just includes Final Crisis and two issues of Superman Beyond, which was a miniseries created to be a part of Final Crisis, and then it has Submit. That's it. Yeah. The absolute okay. I guess is... maybe it was it was the reading orders that I found online that. All of them had these things in common, which were like, you got to read these two issues of that. And these well, right. Five so they had tie-ins. And Heroes in Crisis were... has tie-ins <clears throat> and tie-ins that haven't come out yet. But I just mean the idea of, like, if you include Gotham and Gotham Girl and Bane, those are characters that are, you know, like Gotham and Gotham Girl are exclusively a part of this different run, which is this right. Batman run. Right. Um, so for this story and those characters to tie in heavily with Heroes in Crisis is an interesting idea. I don't know if it's going to happen or if there's a problem with that, and and that's just an idea of if it goes that way. I think that's an interesting thing to be doing. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I'm sorry. Those are just thoughts that I just had as we were talking about No, I I liked it too, and and I I like the suggestion that, okay, if Gotham Girl is the one that actually murdered everybody at Sanctuary, that'll, that'll be an interesting tie up and make a lot more sense because there's nowhere Harley could do that. That would be really irritating to me if Gotham Girl was the one behind it because she's not integral enough. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work for that story where it's like, here's this very DC entrenched story and we're mm-hmm. we're doing a mystery based on all these DC people and then, oh wait, here's somebody super obscure that nobody knows about unless they've been reading Batman. And that's what I mean, like, so in order for to appreciate that, you'd have to read Tom King's run, which yeah, yeah diminishes the evergreen nature of that event. You guys don't think this is a little bit of a just a bullshit event to like make it seem like it's like they just put something out there that's tied to both kind of like they did with the button. Like it never really had anything to do with the Batman run until just recently and we'll see how much that pays off with the, that guy, with his dad. And then like 
it really had nothing to do with what we've seen so far well, in I, Watchmen. I think the button was going to be more integral if Doomsday Clock, you know, which was supposed to be done six months ago, had yeah. stayed that route. Like, I think we were going to be getting the follow-up threads of the button, you know, hmm. nine months ago. That book does not feel anything like what the button did. Like, to me, it, they're totally separate. It doesn't feel like... Um, Doomsday Clock? Yeah, it just feels like its own Elseworlds thing to me. Yeah, well, that to me, that was supposed to be the introduction of the fact that Batman found some connection between the the Watchmen universe and our universe. So it was just sort of a four-issue thing. I I don't know. I kind of wonder if part of it isn't the delay on the button, which seems kind of like a cheap out to me. Or the sorry, not the, the, the delay clock. on the Doomsday Clock, which seems like a cheap out to me because if they were basing their entire universe around it and Jeff Johns said, hang on, I need twice as much time, they'd say, fuck you, finish it. And the same thing with the artist. If if uh, Gary Frank was like, oh, sorry, guys, I need two and a half months instead of one month to finish an issue, they'd say, all right, well, we'll call our next buddy in to finish these issues well, for you. They just, that apparently was so there was important. some pretty profound pushback about doing fill-in artists. Cause well, like, yeah, but but if if you're basing all of your big events around that, which, like, the Oz effect seemed to have something tied in with that, right? Because It was had supposed the to, and then it just collapsed. <clears throat> it just like, disappeared. That's how, that's and then the, the button, button is. Like, and that just fucking button. collapsed. So, yeah, you want to push back on, on this thing that you promised to do that's going to carry our biggest titles? Nope, fuck you. We're going to do what we need to do because we're DC, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think that, like, if... I think their intention is to be writing a book that's going to live in, for a long time like The Watchmen. Oh, I think that would be great. Right. I, I think that's the really firm mission statement. And The Watchmen would not be Watchmen if there were halfway through a different artist came on board. Right. So I, I just don't think that that is an option. I think that there was an overarching plan for the universe. I think that the button was in line with that. I think around the time that the Oz effect happened, which was several months after that, mm-hmm. that was when the delays started happening. That was right. when the whole series was pushed back about a year. And that's when the the sort of post-rebirth or like rebirth mission statement kind of stopped being a thing. So then do you think that Tom King got to do exactly what he wanted with Batman at that point? When they were like, oh, well, actually, we can't tie Doomsday Clock into the current timeline, so do whatever the fuck you want. Well, I mean, I I don't know. I I feel like the button was sort of like, hey, will you write this thing that ties in to support this larger thing that we're doing? And Tom King was like, yeah, I I don't think that that was an important necessarily part of his run. Like, I that's what it felt like to me. Yeah, yeah. I feel. I'm just curious, like. does this feel like we're just kind of making links so someone can be like, oh, it's important for this, but it really is just people kind of trying to make ties that aren't connected? Yeah, it feels like your classic tie-in. Like, this yeah. is going to be, and I think it'll end a little bit more tied to Heroes in Crisis than it is right now. And it'll, I think it'll probably give, I think the resolution of this is that it's going to be Bruce and Wally coming to some realization about the greater mystery um, of Heroes in Crisis, but it won't be the resolution. It's just going to be like... A big step. Yeah, because in Heroes in Crisis, we've been following Booster and Harley and those characters, and we've mostly just seen the Flash and Bruce in a field having a little conversation. Is this going to be in the absolute Heroes in Crisis? That's a good question. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Yeah, so it's like... Yeah, an official. Th- I just... I. The whole, like, two-issue or four-issue button and this thing to me has been kind of confusing because they're 
not solicited like a huge tie-in like they used to be where it was its own miniseries. Right. It's in the main run, but it kind of pauses the main. It's a confusing marketing tactic to me. This should absolutely have a Heroes in Crisis logo on it. Well, it's it is <clears throat> in previews. It was solicited as that. Well, it, it was solicited there as a Heroes in Crisis tie-in. Was the first part of this called the price of something? I think it was also the price of innocence. Oh, was it? Okay, I wondered if I just wondered if they added that of innocence. I like the art. So that was just us babbling about or me babbling about you know us trying to find a reason for what and why this thing is and I don't think we're any closer to having an answer about that but do we have a score for it but I think all the questions that everyone brought up are, are totally appropriate and that's sort of what what the point is I've got a score this is a hint of how they might bring Wally back they'll just make a clone of him like they do of all the Gothams here yeah that's true <laughs> um, I'll give it a 7 I'm going to give it a 7 too actually I'm going to give it a 7 and a half I'm going on air wow. and saying it. I don't think anyone's actually dead. Yeah. I don't think anyone ever dies. Maybe nothing ever ends. Did you read the newest issue? I bet the protector is dead. Of Heroes in Crisis? I can't remember it. You did. <laughs> it was one where Superman gave the big speech. Yeah. And now I guess, uh, did they say that they're all dead? Oh, wait, no, there's like clones and shit. They're not all, they are. They just don't know. It's just obviously not the same version of everybody yeah. necessarily. Yeah, like that Wally is missing five, like his body hasn't aged appropriately. It's, it's, it's like a hologram. Five minutes it's, it's, off. The, it's the program. Yeah. Or something. Something like that. Oh, Holy God. shit. Okay, criminal. Sorry. <laughs> you guys are in charge of finding a direction for this now. Roman, you read Burp. this. Yeah. So this issue follows uh, a guy who has been tasked to kind of be the handler for Hal Crane at a comic book convention. Hal Crane? Hal Hal Crane. Crane. And they drop a lot of real names in here. You know, like Hal Crane's... Warrior Princess. Like Max Max Gaines and Jack Cole and Wally Wood and Stan Lee. Yeah, Hal Hal Crane is an old classic comic book artist... um, was a jerk. A lot of people didn't like him, but he's a fantastic artist. And he's based, his art and his name is based on Gil Kane, a real comic book artist. Okay. That's what I thought. But but Hal Crane is fictional, but he there's other real artists, classic Will Eisner, Al Williamson are mentioned, Stan Lee's mentioned. So, so this guy has a reputation for being a giant asshole, like, like punching people out and, and getting in, in fights with them, kind of being a heavy... Um, the heavy was that something that Justin Cassatt the heavy see I don't know anything I don't know enough about Gil Kane him as a person because there was uh, you remember Hey Kids Comics yeah there was one character in there who dangled a guy out uh, like out of a New York office building window to get his paycheck oh and he was kind of like a loose cannon and I'll bet that it's a like an analog yeah of the same person <laughs> Hmm. Episode curious. 119, Analogs. Analog. Analogs. Oh. They'll make <laughs> you bleed. Yeah, they'll make you bleed real uh. <laughs> So, like, over the course of this issue, you find out that the guy is kind of on a mission to recover some original art that hits, that somebody has, has taken from him, apparently. And uh, kind of the cliffhanger is that he, he wants this kid to help him steal it back from somebody. Yeah, yeah, and this kid is... Uh, he was, it, he was an assistant of his back in, like, the, what, 70s? I don't know when this is supposed yeah. to happen. But he's a former assistant, and that's why he asked 
ask this guy to help him out. And have we met this guy in the criminal universe before? I was going to ask you that because actually I haven't read most of cr- the previous okay. criminal issues. I don't know if we lines. have or not. Okay. Um, I you know these these stories are all really good, but I don't I haven't read them all super recently. I feel like maybe we have, but I don't know which story he would have been from. Yeah, and this issue is is. It's issue number two of the current run of Criminal, but it's a completely new storyline from the first issue. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing I want to know. So what it's like for people who haven't read the graphic novel series or maybe have and are not reading this, what is your impression of what this ongoing series is? Is this one story being told over arcs? Does this issue seem like a totally different thing? Because that's a really unorthodox way of producing a monthly comic. This feels like a one-shot or the the first part of a one-shot, which doesn't make any sense, but it, it doesn't. You could jump in. You could just read this issue. Yeah, though it is continued in the next issue. Yeah, right? well, but yeah. is it continued in the next issue? Because I, the, la- the I think number it is, one, isn't it? it just says to be continued. Number oh, one, right. I think, also said to be continued. And it's oh, yeah, definitely yeah. not being continued here. So Right, right. And, and I'm wondering if maybe yeah. this character, the, the assistant, the former assistant, will show up in the main story from the first issue. We don't know. It's great. It was really great. I mean, it gives this glimpse kind of into the the comic creator world of the, these classic creators and the comic. They make some. It's set in the mid '90s, I think, and it makes some yeah. commentary about comic cons and the industry was supposedly dying then. And there's just some great commentary. There's this Hal Kane character, just the way he reacts to fans and women and stuff, and just shows how much he's so out of touch. Um, so, he offers a woman who's dressed up like one of his characters 200 bucks to come up to his room. And he doesn't understand that she's just a fan. Yeah, he's like, why a would a woman dress like that unless she's, you know, a prostitute or something like that? He's just like an old, out-of-touch dickhead. So just like yeah. a creator from the 60s who's made a career and is now in the 90s and yeah. doesn't really – yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and there's some tr- some stuff in his past. There's an auto accident where he walked away unscathed, but it – Killed his mentor. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. And ever before that, apparently he was a nice guy. And after that, you know, he's got all these demons that he can't deal with, and you know, made mistakes with his career. They talk about how his uh, early in his career, he sold off a bunch of his original art, and then he had to watch as he would see it be resold and resold online for way more than he got. That's that was amazing. that's a story that I hear. Where, where, where have you heard that? Well, it was a main part of, uh, like, the fourth issue of Hey Kids Comics okay. by Howard Chaykin, too. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember if it's, like, Marvel, the untold story, or where I have encountered that same story. But just, no. like, you know, I know that, like, for example, Kirby's art was, like, cut up and then sold, like, panel at a time, or even Frank Miller's was. Jesus. Like, you can't get pay- full-page recreations of a lot mm. of that art because it's, yeah. like, it was cut into panels and sold that way, which is, like... Bummer. Yeah, and some of the insight in here, because this guy, this artist, Hal, Hal Crane, apparently he did that. He would, like, steal guys like Kirby and stuff out of the offices of, they don't mention any publishers, but out of the offices and sell it when he needed money for his gambling debts and stuff. That was part of the Hey Kids comics, too. <laughs> hey Kids comics seems like it was pretty historically on point. Yeah. I would like yeah. to, f- yeah, I never read the all of hey, or the Marvel The Untold Story. I would like to finish that and then read Hey Kids comics with a little bit more context for that period. Yeah, and the narrator here mentions, the assistant mentions how, yeah, I mean, that sucks that it happened to Crane, but, you know, he's the one that made the choice to waste his money on booze and and drink and, and uh, 
uh, playing the ponies and everything. Yeah, ponies is a mean term for ladies. Um, <laughs> what I have not read this issue, but I just looked at the last. I mean, I skimmed through, but the final five pages are brilliantly colored. It's these night shots and the the subtle change in color of over like nine shades of blue purple hybrid mm-hmm. is so pretty and so evocative of the night. Does Sean Phillips yeah. color his own work? This is a guy whose name I haven't ever recognized. It's Jacob Phillips. It's uh, oh, Sean that's his Phillips son, son, right? He's doing oh. the he's doing this series. He did he did uh, all my heroes have junkies. always been junkies. Yeah. Too. The, the color oh, okay. in that I was gonna say like lately their color. I mean he's always been good, but the colors are on on point with the past couple. Sean he's in a amazing thing it's not someone i would think of right away as one of my favorite guys but he's... how cool to have your son color your art as well yeah that's yeah so matt cool. wagner yeah the son that does sounded shitty color. i'm sorry i didn't i didn't mean that to sound like i spit yeah matt wagner <laughs> yeah matt wagner matt yeah, wagner's he, son does wagner. his coloring <laughs> a lot of the time and is very supportive of it what do you guys give this eight and a half easy yeah yeah definitely maybe even a, a nine wow you know actually i i think i'll go to a nine not only for the story and all the cool and the art and everything, but I love the back matter. This stuff about the Continental Op and then this article about uh, angels with dirty faces. Yep. Classic crime. So before we get to our final book, a minute and 30 on the clock. Roman, go. Ah, what are Sorry, we doing? I didn't mean what are we Roman. Doing? I meant Django, go. Oh, <laughs> shit. I read Hit Girl. No, that's mine. <laughs> I read Batman Detective Comics number nine. That's Justin. No, damn it! I read go go go. I, I read Batman Who Laughs number oh, that's three. God, no, I'm kidding. I can't. I didn't Murder read that. No, do that. Falcon no. was great. Yeah, tell I, me about Murder Falcon. Minute and thirty. I don't really care about metal music. Sorry, metalheads, <gasps> but uh, this Dude, Django Justin's pissed. I love this comic. It starts with like a murder of a Swedish metal band by invaders from the other universe and it it ends with one of them showing up to team up with um, the band that we've been following uh there's a lot of good character stuff there's a scene where murder falcon opens the side door of a van and just starts shooting the shit out of these monsters uh this this series is not super straight up my alley but i i've been really enjoying it i also read oblivion song number 12 um it's pretty good it changes the direction a bit we get uh I don't know. It's got two brothers in this book, and they're really hard to tell apart for me. Um, it might it might read a lot better as a trade paperback rather than single issues because I'm never really sure what's going on or where things are heading. Um, I also read the um, Punisher number eight. Tell me about the Batman who laughs, you dumbo. <laughs> oh, the bat. Well, you keep taking them out of my hands. Gosh, I'm, I'm totally driving your shit. I'm sorry. Um, it's pretty good. I didn't like the end of it, and uh, I don't know. I don't think Jock's the right choice for that book. I think I think Scott Snyder is writing, like, the most oblique, confusing Batman story, and as much as I like looking at Jock's drawings, I don't think that he makes characters look different enough to work well for a series that is as, like... Here's here's six or seven different Bruce Waynes. We need to be able to tell that they're the same person, and we can't in this because Jock is like his his drawings a little bit sketchy and spastic sometimes. And I'm sorry, everybody. I just the, Django read several books this week that I have not read that I really wanted to hear him talk about. So Batman Who Laughs and Oblivion Song were those ones. I didn't read number two of this. I'm gonna make you talk about Punisher and fucking Kick Ass. Yeah. Did you read them? 
No, I read Hit Girl, which right. I'm going to talk about. Jeff, I'm in at 30. Punisher. <laughs> Punisher is in a country that Zemo runs. Here, and that's girl. weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm an issue behind on Punisher. Minute 30, Roman, go. I read Thor number 10, which was great because on the cover, Odin and Thor are hanging out on the end of the Rainbow Bridge or sharing some mead. Totally opposite of what happens in this issue. It's a great father-son issue. All this tensions over centuries between the two of them. They get in a big old slugfest. Oh, the whole I love time the Romans is slug. The whole whole time Odin is like like tell the boy how you really feel. Tell him that you're you know you're proud of him, but he can't do it because he's a macho dad. And they just beat the crap out of each other. And at the end of it, uh, Heimdall saves Thor from killing his dad, and Thor takes off, and his dad is like, oh, I'm a loser. Um, Avengers No Road Home. This was actually better than I expected. It's a sequel to Avengers No Surrender. No Surrender last year. Uh, there's some big mystery going on. The art's not that great, but you know it's got Hercules and Rocket Raccoon, so that was fun. Savage Sword of Conan number one. I really dug this. He's killing this it. This was cool. Um, who wrote this? Who wrote this? Oh Doesn't matter. You're a guy. Jerry Dugan. Ger- Jerry Dugan. Yeah, and it's just a great Conan story. He gets put on a slave ship, goes on this adventure, has to escape from the ship. He's chained to another dude that can't swim, and Conan has to save them both, which he does. Match. <laughs> it's just some great Conan adventuring stuff. I'm also really excited about Marvel's annotated number one, which I haven't actually read yet. I haven't looked at the annotations. I was reading but it. It looks cool. Jeff read it. Jeff can tell Not us all of it. it. Not all of it, but it was good. I'm, I mean, all I read was what has already existed for many years. Oh, look at these cute little annotations. Oh, look, it, it's so in-depth. I do like I'm excited. that. What are your scores? Uh, Savage uh, Marvel's annotated. I'll give a 10 out of the box, even though I haven't done it yet. Savage Sword of Conan, I'll give a 8.5. Avengers No Road Home, I'll give a 7. Thor, I will give a solid 8. That is the first time in history Roman has gotten four books into a No, that's shot. not the first time, is it? Yeah. First time in a long time. Pretty darn close. Where were the full recaps? Page by page by panel reading. Where was 15 seconds of <laughs> trying to find creators? <laughs> I'm going to do Hit Girl. I'm on the clock. I've set myself up. Just what? the one book for me. Why does my mouth taste Six like Six seconds. Farts? Hit Girl number one. This is the second or third little chunk that's been coming out since it's jumped over to uh, Image Comics. This one, most interestingly, is written by Kevin Smith with art by Perneal Orem. Never heard of the artist, but what I thought was the most interesting about this issue was that it was a silent issue written by Kevin Smith, which are like two things you would (laughs) never think would happen because (laughs) I love Kevin Smith, but Homeboy talks a lot, more than me, if you can believe it. And to get him, and he's just so like quippy and back and forth, and he's sort of the, the epitome of a chatty comic. I don't love his comic book stuff as much as I love his <clears throat> movies because I, I think his dialogue works really well in, in movies. But I, um, you know, Django thinks the opposite, which is that it works really well in comics, and I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is. It's actually, now that I think about it, kind of close to the plot of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which is Hit Girl realizes there's been a comic book made of her and that there's been a movie that's being adapted. So she goes to Hollywood to, uh, to I don't know, talk to them or something. But she goes on this airplane and at one point a creepy old guy like tries to rub her leg and then as she gets off there's just a sort of somebody huddled in a blanket at the window and he's got a knife through his head. And it's like really... it. it I didn't. I don't know. I like the Kick-Ass movie a lot. I haven't been interested in the Hit Girl comics, and I didn't love uh, Kick-Ass Volume Three very much. But 
uh, I forget those books are f- like fucking violent. They're like hyper violent <laughs> is their thing. What did you think of the fact that it opens with a school shooting? Because um, I thought that that was fuck that. Yeah, it 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 made me really uncomfortable. And it really crime yeah. guy. <laughs> <clears throat> it it's a little too close to home. Like yeah, I thought it we, was interesting to have this many kids dying. From another kid. It but, happens every fucking day in this country, though. Which is why it probably didn't affect me. But but it's it didn't seem to is. do that for any reason. She could have found that article that there was a movie being made of her in another in, in a yeah, bunch of different ways. There's some bully kids who are doing a school shooting, and she goes and kills them. Um, I don't know. To me, it would. I don't know. That's strange to me to think that many commonplace world activities are okay and then other ones are not. Uh, but sure. it does, it just doesn't personally make me uncomfortable. But um, we have talked about school shootings on in the podcast in the past, and, and I do know that it is a thing that does make other people very, very uncomfortable. Is so there I, another comic that you can think of that had that in the last five years or so? I don't know. I don't think about... That doesn't occur to me. Like, yeah. to me, it's like if it's a real life thing that happens, that it makes sense to me that it would be in a comic book. Sure. Um, but I don't know. I, I That didn't occur to me. But I, I could totally see that it would make somebody uncomfortable. But for me, it was just like the thing that was interesting to me was that it was like graphically killing kids. Yeah. Um, but like yeah. that's happening in Punisher, right? Or sorry, Prodigy right now. Um, Prodigy. Prodigy issue comic? number two was like. Uh, you know the crazy I had a rich shark on the cover. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the shark, shark one. one. Yeah. Sorry guys. I, uh, um, were they killing kids? Sharks? But that is unforgivable. I don't know. I give it like. Unless you're a Jimmy Jones guy. A six point five. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'd you, give it a seven and a half. I read it too. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you want to give me a silent comic, I'll read a, a silent comic. I got. I love the idea of visually taking an entire story in. So, you know, that's that's cool. I don't think it was great. 6.5. Justin. I, I'm i not going to buck. I, I don't have anything buck worthy. You fucking... What about Detective? Buck, I you got Detective. I did not care about enough. I skimmed Detective. All right, you got like, 30 seconds, Detective. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, no, it was just a second. Just a second. Just, just a second. Do, do just some etrogen chanting. Just a second. Um, we're going to call this just the shot. This is actually, it's a 23-second shot. Okay. 23 seconds, go now. Uh, go. Batman, demon, uh, demon robot, Batman punch demon robot, Batman make friend with demon, Batman talk to Lucius, Batman Jason Blood, Batman little kid sitting in chair at end, Batman monster, Batman not Hugo Strange. <laughs> Was it actually Lucius? No, no, it wasn't. It's, Not uh, Lucius. What other tech guy? <laughs> Doctor Stone. Doctor Stone. Oh, Cyber Bat- Man. Yeah. yeah. So I'm with you. Like, what the fuck is going on in this series? Dude, <laughs> the first like two issues were awesome. More and it was lava. Un- yeah, and they were like unveiling this mystery, and now we've just been like six issues. Is everyone been like, I've got to go save this person? You go, you show up. Yeah, something bad is happening, and then you end just as confused. Like, I don't know. It feels like a a mystery that. Started off really good, but now it's just being used to tell these like weird one shots to feature things that he likes. Like, oh, here's that hell robot again, and here's the Mr. Demon. Miracle, and the demon. It's like, then just give us a fucking one shot. And uh, like, they can't because issue a thousand's coming up. It would make as much sense to do eight one shot stories leading up to one thousand. 
Yeah. Unless like we get a big reveal in the next <clears throat> issue that's going to make us excited for 1000, but or after 1000. Well, he's know. trying to solve the the mystery, right? Like there's a core mystery to the the last but four some or five issues. But some so grounded and then everything around it is just like this fantastical stuff that's like and, Mr. Miracle and Etrigan and, and has anyone the... felt like we've gotten any closer in the last 3 issues? Well, I mean, we found out who it's not over and over. But they set up Hugo. Yeah, every issue sets up someone to, you know, right? Yeah, and it's like, eh, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's one thing for a mystery to be slowly unveiling itself, but it's a different thing to get a lead, have it be nothing, get a lead, have it be nothing, and sort of, I don't know. That feels sloppy to me. It's not like we're not gradually getting towards something, and there's not been a big reveal. It's just been the sort of like there, two of these middle issues could have not existed, and we'd be in the exact same spot. I think it's a clumsy mystery, but a pretty good serial. Like if this was a TV show, I would allow it because they got 24 episodes to fill solving the the, the series episode or the series mystery, and it's that's that's what this monster, feels like to me. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I know I said I liked a chattier Batman from Tomasi. I take that back. <laughs> Batman sounds like a fucking child. Up to your old tricks again, strange. Bastardizing science for your unholy ways. <clears throat> Batman, you you have to know how to speak better than that. <laughs> I know you don't speak a lot, but you know, you're know you probably saving up some f- smart things to say. I Reading these, I was like, this is not how ba- Batman would speak at all. I don't. If he's, that's if how he I felt his, about that, too, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. sounds like a child. I like, don't dislike it, but like... The last two pages seemed like sloppy, like he gets shot with a grappling gun and then the grappling gun becomes chains that then dissolve in his hands and then he's staring at a child. Like, who can tell me what happened in those two pages? They don't become chains. They become code, ones and zeros. Oh, you're right. They look like crumbling chains. Yeah, so he's in the Matrix kind of. And uh, we don't know who this little kid or little person is. In the in the control chair at the end, but he got shot into the back computer. I I think that unfortunately this feels like it's maybe doing the same thing that Tom King's run is doing right now, where they're just keeping us off balance to keep us off balance, and maybe things aren't actually happening. Well, that one like is starting to click. Like we got like Scarecrow. Okay, we're stuck in a hallucination nightmare. Yeah, but so is this one because now we've got like it's this kid controlling the thing. But up until now, it's been things that don't quite make sense and and jumps that don't quite work. Right? Tom King one is Man, it's all this mythology. Yeah. Yeah. I still think Hugo Strange is somehow behind it. I give this Detective (laughs) Comics a seven if we're just all giving scores. Oh man, I'll just throw in a six. Yeah, I'll give it a six, which I hate to do because I love Etrigan, but not in this. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a seven. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't think it was bad. It's just sort of like this. I think we should have gotten a step forward two issues ago. Yeah, just I, to be honest with myself, thing that... I'm just gonna take it down to a five. I just I gotta be <laughs> I, honest. Hell, yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. I gotta be honest. Let's get the fuck out of here and talk about Outer Darkness number four by John Layman Afu Chan. I do like that he has a ar- set of armor called Hellbat. <laughs> Like We're getting Bendis really far out over. into the dark here. Like Outer the darkness. A mystery oh, in space. Justin, you were just doing a segue. Everyone go back, back, back. Justin, what were you just saying? I think we're getting a little far out into the darkness there. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of far out darkness, <laughs> speaking of Mormons. Um, Mormons? Yeah. Mormons. Outer, Outer darkness. darkness. Oh, right. Jinx. 
Now you can't talk. Do One of you guys has to buy each other a pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I buy I, him a hat? I need new shoes. <laughs> um, Elox, Chief Navigator Elox. What did we? Did you read this, Roman? Yeah. You fucking pancake. Did you read this? <laughs> oh, I read it. We all read it. We this all read it. This doesn't seem like a Django book. I read it. I loved this book. I also loved this book. I also loved this book. I, like- I loved it too. Snakes. Do you like snakes? Snakes. What's in the back of your truck, sir? Snakes. (laughs) Sugar. Sugar. Sugar Sugar water. Sugar water. water. What's in that spaceship? Why are you... What are you trafficking in that spaceship? Snake gods. Um, (laughs) Snake gods. He's fucking cool. (laughs) Um, What are you guys talking about? I was just doing a bloodborne gesture. Um... (laughs) <laughs> this guy, Elox, looks like a snake. So in this issue, we find out that Chief Navigator Elox doesn't know much about his past except for on his planet, he, in a very Yahweh fashion, um, took over, you know, he went from a uh, potentially a polytheistic uh, culture. He took over. He was a god who took over, like like our god. He you became know? like an Egyptian, an Egyptian-looking god. Yeah, he was a, a yeah a tyrant king who turned himself into a god. Uh, he went from being one of a very powerful set of spirits to potentially the guy or normal guy, and he's he's bad. And now we're seeing him being kind of a pusswad, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, making decisions he doesn't want, biting his tongue when formerly he was like this savage, evil being. Um, all the while, in the parallel. The guy that got resurrected in the last issue is doing a similar thing where he's being all nice, but actually just, like, fucking shit up. And he's, I think he's like, well, how come I can't be super evil? Um, (laughs) And there we find out that no one likes each other in this fucking issue. Mm -mm. Well, that was kind of, kind of from the beginning, right? Like, nobody really, well, I guess the the crew didn't trust the captain. I felt like the captain fucked up and everyone was broken about it, but now it seems like, I feel like there's going to, there's like a lot of everyone hates each other. It's going to be separate factious, factions yeah. trying to stab each other in the back. Do you think so. it's because they got haunted in a previous issue, or preserved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I it could. Yeah, I could. I could see the whole ship being haunted and, and sowing this descent. Also, this guy doesn't like the captain because the captain can't be bothered to learn his name, and he's kind of a butthole. <laughs> and he's like this god who's like, "You will know my fucking name." Which yeah, I have. yeah. But it's also just like. A crime of ignorance, yeah. you know, like right. against this captain. I love like the really evil dark moments of this series. I love this art with the really evil dark moments. It's like a great juxtaposition. They have to like find like there's a basically a distress call, and it's somebody who is um, in the galactic sphere, interstellar sphere. Somebody who's important enough that if a distress call ever comes from this person of this class you have to if you're within the, the sort of the alliance you have to go check it out kind of like alien or whatever but uh they go and res- rescue this corpse sort of against the captain's orders and it's like a haunted corpse it turns out there's like another evil spirit in it kind of in the same way that in the previous issue what is his name oh fuck silas or something like that oh sato shin shin but he's sato shin is the guy that Overrode the captain's orders yeah. and brought them to rescue this body. Right. Yeah. Right. He's trying to resurrect this former homeboy. Of his. So then he yeah. goes in, and there's this like real messed up scene of him like murdering somebody to like exercise the sort of possessed soul of this corpse. And 
it's like just the scene of him smearing blood on this stasis pod is real, real angsty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This series keeps kind of surprising me. There's like character dynamics. There's kind of a slight, slight level of like political intrigue. Like whose side do you trust? Who's actually the good guy? As well as just playing around with cool, spacey theological concepts. You know, there's gods and demons all being grounded in people also being pretty shitty and demonic themselves. Yeah, I really like that theological thing like Elox after he was a god at some point he was killed and they found his soul basically floating around and then they put him back into a body and it kind of gives this idea that he would have to level up over many centuries to become a god again maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he's living this like degenerated Luciferian fall Yeah, and he doesn't necessarily believe in a higher power anymore now that he's died and come back. He doesn't believe in He was the higher power. Yeah, he was. Um. I like how every issue of this kind of focuses on a different character and their um, sort of surprising backstory. I hope that's a structure that continues to go like we and the main story progresses subtly or slowly until we see a wide range of everybody and then it can maybe have a coherent whole. Like a like a cartoony horror space scout. Yeah. Yeah. And like in just that way that like. And that's what I was thinking as I was reading this, which is, like, this is the perfect setting to be able to do this much character work, which Mm -hmm. is all of these people are forced into this spot where they're sort of marooned, like, lost or something, the television show, but better than that. But with this amazing art, it's like the the art is is amazing in it. I love it. It doesn't look like anything else in comics. No, and it's, like, it's super cartoony, but also, like, it really reminds me of Jack Kirby consistently. But Mm. it's just this amazing way of, of... trapping all of this people in this environment and they're all so interesting and we're just slowly getting to know them and and the main thrust of the plot is interesting enough that that you read it because of that but then you're slowly learning about all these characters that make it drastically more interesting I really really like it today like I've been falling off books that I like and feeling guilty and then deciding like this book I just probably won't read another issue of not this one specifically but today i was like i'm gonna have to read gideon falls and trade because i'm so far behind i got the issues if you want to borrow them. oh he's got the issues i'm gonna wait for trade it reads like a movie this one i'm gonna <laughs> actually try to try to keep up with because i i really enjoy it it's right up right up my alley and it's easy enough to read through that it's never like a task you can blow through it very quickly while also getting like juicing it. Yeah, the low. Jack LaLanne. Yeah. Give it the old LaLanne stain. The LaLanne oh. love stain. I hardly know her. <laughs> Roman. That was gross. Roman, come on. Django, yeah, come I'm on. Sorry. Roman, that was yeah. gross. Roman, come on, man. I know. I got to clean it up. I'm sorry. So, no, scores, that's everybody. what she said. Yeah. <laughs> I give, I read three and four back to back. I loved them. I think I give three a nine and this one 8.5. I, I got really, really liked them. I love, like, this one felt part and parcel with three to me because it's it also dealt with sort of like the expelling of consciousness and then the rebuilding it as you're finding it. Like, it, it did seem like a two-parter to me. Um, but, I, yeah, really, really liked it. I would give this one 8.5. I'll so good. An, I'll give it an eight for being surprising. Thanks for surprising me, Outer Darkness. Also... Thanks for finally getting into the Mormon part of Outer Darkness. Mormon. Did they? Yeah, at the very end. It, it, they do cross that planet that just says Mormon. Mormon. <laughs> no, he says uh, there's no afterlife to be found, no heaven, and certainly no hell, because we're already there. This is hell. And if I remember right, 
Outer Darkness. If you were a Mormon, right? If, if I were a Mormon, right? Uh, Outer Darkness is like purgatory or or like a uh, path to hell in in the Mormon religion. Hmm. Being removed from play. To oh, use some out of the graveyard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna give it a classic nine or fiver. Oh, nine or higher. Uh, nine five. Uh, snake god guys. Elox. Nine point five. Elox. How awesome that we get this double page like Super Nintendo cast of all the characters double pager at the rad, end, dude. and they're all like little boxes with their heads, like you're picking your character in a game. But and one they of them is three too. pictures wide, and it's the the ship's god engine. I love that. And they update like this one's now uh, Corporal slash Demon. Oh, um, and that wasn't before. And Elox is now Ship Navigator God. Like you're unlocking their backstories yeah. there. Oh. So Roman, let's get your score before Roman or Django drops some theology on us. I didn't know it here. updated. Um, I'll give I'm it a, a 7.5. Django Boren, uh, co-owner slash theologist. The Book of Mormon teaches that after death, the spirits of those who choose evil works rather than good in mortality will be cast into outer darkness. Hey, Justin, Woo-hoo. I think our new sign-off for the podcast should be some intricate, detailed portion of a different religion. Can we make that happen? Mm-hmm. In Christianity, the exterior darkness or outer darkness is a place referred to three times in the Gospel of Matthew, into which a person may be cast out and where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. I'm Jeff, and I can't wait to gnash my teeth against Justin's as I give him a ride home. I'm Django. I really hope I don't have to look at Jeff's butt. Are, are we? Are we doing the? Is the butt stuff going to be in the podcast? Sure. <laughs> I don't remember when it came up, so we'll see. I really hope I don't have to decide which position Jeff is going to make me look at his butthole. <laughs> I'm Justin, and when Moses first hears the spirit in the burning bush, he asks him. What's his name is, and he says, "I am that I am." And if you look up uh, the first warning signs of dissociative personality disorder, personality disorder—the first thing that most people uh, hear their other personality say is that "I am that I am." There's my theological it's thing. Fucking Popeye, I, I am what I am. Yeah, it's all that I am. Watch Popeye when they were a children. Popeye the yeah. Sailor Man. Sure. So spinach is is a symbol of of dissociative. And the burning Identity bush disorder. Yeah, wow. spinach is most representative of the burning bush. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's burning why bush. Also... I hardly knew her. <laughs> <laughs> well done, dude. Well done. Uh, that is <laughs> full circle. Roman is the master. We'll of that. see you next He's week for progenitor. 120. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself. I love no, that. You're not. That was <laughs> a great full circle. You're shaving yourself. <laughs> That'll be when we go on a trip. <laughs> <laughs>